Good morning. It's good to be back in Pasadena. Amen. Joyce and I have been, uh, where have you been, Ted? I've been to China. He's been to China. Well, I was in a foreign country called Wisconsin. We should share stories. Joyce and I were at the World Mission Conference uh, two weeks ago this Sunday, and uh, Ryan was there as well as some others of us, and we were in church for two, almost two and a half hours. That was a long, very formal worship service. We worshiped like the Baptist in the Republic of Georgia. Uh, Malkaz Sangalashvili was leading us. He is the person in charge of Baptist in that part of the world, in Georgia. And he said, I want to give you a Georgian service. And so we, we were there for two hours and 20 minutes. Of course, not that I would time a worship service, but uh, <laughs> it was a great time. And he's a wonderful leader of God. Uh, it's good to be back. My name is Steve. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church, and if you're visiting today, we especially want to welcome you on this summer day. We've got a lot of folks traveling and uh, about the country, and it's good to be back home ourselves from our travels to Wisconsin and being with friends and at the, at the conference. I'd like to uh, ask you to find this piece of paper. It's in your worship folder, and if you don't have one, let me uh, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one, but... This is, it says at the top, Key Beliefs for Life, Celebrate God. We have been on a journey this summer. We have, we as a church have rewritten our mission statement and uh, encouraging each regular attender, worshiper here, here to know this statement. And so uh, it's written there for you. You can read it. If, but if you've memorized it, don't read it. Just look up and repeat it with me. Uh, and we're going to start off the purpose of rather than the mission. But the purpose of FBCP is to make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. And then as we kind of dream about what would that actually look like, we've written out this vision statement. And you can see it there before you. Uh, First Baptist Church Pasadena is in the heart of the community. Old Town is right next door to us. City Hall's across the street from us. Uh, we're pretty much in the center of the commerce and uh, the life of Pasadena. So we're in the heart of the community. And we dream of a sanctuary filled with worshipers, you're going to have to close your eyes and imagine that, but uh, that, that's our dream. We dream in a building used for God's purposes, a community filled with transformed lives, and a world filled with disciples who share God's love. And we went over that several Sundays ago. We've been going over our values, too. These are the things we believe. What are our core beliefs as a church? And so far, we've looked at six of them. And you notice we state our belief, and then we state uh, it's not enough to believe something, therefore we will. That's an action step, so to speak. And the first one is our belief in God, and we say, therefore, we will love God and share God's love. Now, today I want to talk to you about value number six. And uh, let's read that together. In fact, uh, you can read it off the sheet. I think it will go up on the screen, maybe. Uh, but at the bottom of this sheet, it talks about worship. And let's read this worship value together. And we'll start with we believe, and then the transition is therefore we will. Okay? We believe worship is our loving response to God with all we are and all we do all the time. Therefore, we will give God glory in all we do. And we're going to talk about worship today and hope you enjoy and really profit from our time together. I want to introduce you to someone, so if Becky Hanais will come up and join me uh, this morning. We introduced a few weeks ago Francisco, who's going to be working with our junior and senior high group. And uh, we actually have a team working with junior and seniors high, and the team is made up of Becky and Francisco. Come on up, Becky. Good morning. Good morning. I'll let you hold this, and 
uh, folks can hopefully hear you. Now, uh, as you know, there's no preparation for this. I don't give you any advanced questions. The congregation probably already knows them all by now because they're standard issue. But first of all, where were you born? I was born in a little town uh, of Kellogg, Idaho. Kellogg, Idaho. They make Kellogg cornflakes there? Or? I don't know. I, I wasn't there long enough. <laughs> okay. Um, where did you grow up? Where, As a child, where did you live? Um, I, w- I was raised in Nicaragua. I was there for 11 years. And why were you in Nicaragua? My parents are American Baptist missionaries, Steve and Sheila Hanice. Now, if you can go back to a time when maybe you were 9, 10, 11 years old as a girl in Nicaragua and say it's summertime, school's out, what did you do for fun? My favorite thing to do was um, climb trees. Uh-huh. And, and especially the mango trees were really fun to climb. You'd climb up to the high branches and sit there and just eat mangoes. <laughs> I'd be like dripping all over my shirt and everything. That does fun. sound like fun. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, and what are you doing in California? That's a long ways from Nicaragua. Well, I came over to go to Fuller Seminary. And uh, then I just I fell in love with Southern California. My grandparents are from here, so I have extended relatives in the area. And uh, I yeah I just fell in love with it. It feels like home to me. It's very hot. It's not like the East Coast, you know, where it gets really cold in the winter. So, and uh, I fell in love with the place and the people. So I stayed. Good. Um, now in our conversation, one of your loves and passions you've said is theater, arts, and that kind of thing. And uh, so you can pretend pretty well? Uh-huh. Good. Uh, because I'm going to ask you to pretend for a moment. Uh, big pretend here. Every, it's a pretend, not a promise. Okay. Uh, but pretend for a moment that First Baptist Church had not a gold card, but a platinum card with okay. no limit on it. Nice. Uh, that would be nice. And uh, you've got six months. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to pay off this card. You get the card. You get six months. What would you do? Um, uh, my own personal money for myself or no, for the church? No, this is a card. This is a card, and you've got six months to do with that. Whatever you want, you, we give you the card. You take off. You can do whatever you want with it for six months. You don't have to pay it off. It's, you, I said you have to pretend now. So uh-huh. this is, you get the card. You get six months. Wow. No questions asked. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I've always dreamed of going to France, so I'd love to go to France and be in France for six months and learn French really, really well, and uh, maybe even take a little jaunt down to Africa and see Africa. Sounds good. I'd like to go to France myself again. Uh, you, now, you speak Spanish, obviously, and yes. English. Yes. Sounds like you speak that, too. Uh, you speak some French, though, right? Yes, yes. Ah. Can you say God bless you in French or? Uh-huh. Okay. How, how does that go? Uh, Dieu vous bénisse. Bénisse. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> well, thanks very much. And we're glad to have you at First Baptist, Becky, and working with young people and uh, look forward to building our relationship Thank together. You. Thank Let's you. Let's give an appreciation for Becky. And we're glad you're here, and we want you to feel uh, very welcome at First Baptist Church because God welcomes us, and we want you to know that, and we would like to extend welcome to you as well. So what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment is to stand up and greet one another. But it is summertime. It's August. A lot of folks are traveling, and uh, I wouldn't object at all if some of you just moved on up here uh, to be with us. Joyce and I have both had showers uh, the past month, and... Uh, 
you know, we're going to have a good time. So stand up and greet a few folks, if you would, help them feel welcome at First Baptist. Yeah, you do need a little rest after that. Uh, and just be in prayer today. You heard that uh, the Pope was sick. Have any of you catch the latest news? I'm not sure. You know, there's this bird flu going around. He has caught some kind of a bird flu. Apparently, he caught it from one of the cardinals. So uh, be sure and pray for him. <laughs> ah, that's bad. David was shaking his head no violently, saying, "Don't tell that." But uh, oy vey. I have another one, but I learned in Wisconsin, but I'll wait a while, okay? In the movies, Indiana Jones, what was Indiana Jones looking for? What's the point? The Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, you may immediately know what that is, or you may not, so let's just go back a moment uh, to think about the Ark of the Covenant. First of all, it's a box. And you remember when the people of God went into Egypt and they lived there and kind of grew up and became a people there in Egypt where they were enslaved for over 400 years. And then their cries were heard by God and God brought them out of Egypt through Moses, the the Redeemer or the Deliverer. And when they got out of Egypt and they were finally safe, the Red Sea had protected them from Pharaoh and his army. They stopped and there they received the commandments, you recall, and what else? There they received instructions on how to build the ark and the tabernacle. And so that as they were to travel to the promised land, they were going to worship God. And the place of their worship was at the tabernacle. It was a tent. It was portable. And the most holy object in that tent was the ark of the covenant. And you've seen the movie. You know how important it was. Uh, It was really a symbol that God's power or God was going to meet them there in the tabernacle at the Ark of the Covenant. And so it became the most sacred object in all of Israel. It was very, very important to them. Now, fast forward with me, not only from uh, that time of the tabernacle, but uh, to the day of the kings. And as they finally came to the Promised Land and settled there, and Samuel ruled over them or sort of kept, kept things going, there was the time of the judges, and you recall eventually they wanted a king. And so God said, I'll give you a king. And King Saul became the first king of Israel, and he ruled. Now, when we pick up the story this morning that we're going to look at in 1 Chronicles, David has become king, and he's the second king of Israel. Not the first, but the second. King Saul has died. And as he begins to emerge with power, and we need to go back and just kind of adjust our minds, because Israel was not a a nation like we think of a nation today. They were 12 tribes. They lived scattered around what we call Palestine or Israel. And uh, even though the King Saul had ruled, it was still a very loose kind of federation of these 12 tribes. When David becomes king, of course, some people are glad and some aren't. And so he begins to consolidate his kingdom and he has some victories and he uh, is obviously God's anointed. God seems to be with him because he wins battles. And as David grows in political stature, he decides, I'm going to move. And so he moves to a place called Hebron. And he's told he won't be able to conquer it, but of course he does. And so he settles down there. He's going to build a palace there, and that's going to be the seat of authority, kind of like City Hall. And so David moves to Hebron. And then as he inquires of the Lord and as God gives him gifts to lead, he thinks, you know, I need to make this not only the political center of our nation, but the religious center. And so in a brilliant move, he decides, you know, we need to establish worship in this place called Hebron. 
Now, it's later called the city of David, or what? Zion? What's another name? We know it today as Jerusalem. David established the authority in Jerusalem. So he does a lot of inquiring and asking folks what they think about his idea. Everybody likes the idea, and his idea is this. He said, let's find the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. Now, we're told that during the time of Saul, it had fallen into disuse. I think they knew where it was, but it wasn't. It, there was no active usage of the ark. It was just kind of a relic that they had up in the historical room. And so David says, let's go find that and bring it to Jerusalem. And uh, he begins to begins that process. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about worship as we talk. This is our uh, sixth value. And I want to talk to you about worship in this way. I'm really talking this morning about when we come together as we are now on a Sunday morning in worship, what are we trying to accomplish? Now, I know worship is bigger than what's happening today. We can worship God privately. You can worship God on a hike. All of life should be worship of God. But as we come together in corporate worship, what are we trying to do? And I really want to share my heart with you this morning. And if you've gone through our class 101, some of this is going to sound familiar because I always give you the three same words in class 101. And the first one is this. When we gather as worshipers at First Baptist Church, our first goal is celebration. Celebration. And if you have your outline, I hope you'll write that word down, the top page on the back, celebration. And then beside that, if you will draw an arrow, if you will draw an arrow, and the arrow, of course, should be pointing up like that. Celebration. Why celebration? Well, when we build churches in a classic style, what do we put on top of them? A steeple. And it points to heaven. When you walk in a sanctuary like this, which is rather exceptional, you see the arches, and uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you kind of walk in and go, wow, and your, your senses are just lifted upward, sort of heavenward, to God. And when we gather in worship, we ought to discipline ourselves if it requires discipline, but we ought to focus on God. We're not here to hear a sermon, to sing a song, to pray a prayer, to meet our friends. That's not the first reason we're here. We're here to worship God. Now, all those other things happen, and they make worship good and better. But we're here to worship God, to celebrate God. We're here on Sunday. That's not an accident. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. This is Resurrection Day. Now, when you think of the resurrection power of Christ, that's the cause for celebration. God is alive. There is a God in heaven, a good God, and that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus, who has been raised back from the dead and is alive and offers salvation to all who believe. That's a reason for celebration, don't you think? And so this morning as we gather... And every single morning, or whenever we gather as a group, celebration ought to be a part of our worship. It's one of our goals here at First Baptist. And uh, we're going to give you a chance to enter into some more celebration in just a minute. But let's look at some scriptures. I really want to uh, base what I say today on First Chronicles chapter 13. And uh, in this uh, center section of First Chronicles. Now, we're talking about Chronicles, which is in the Old Testament, not Corinthians, which is in the New Testament. Chronicles is by uh, probably Ezra. Corinthians is by Paul. It's very different books. And uh, we're talking about Chronicles. In fact, uh, I brought along this uh, 
Bible. I had to kind of dust it off. But this is a Hebrew Bible, and uh, the Hebrews read just the opposite way we do. So if I open it here to the right, this is the book of Genesis. And then if I go all the way over to the left, this is the end of the Old Testament. And if you were Jewish and reading the Old Testament you would, and reading it from Hebrew, you would read it like this. You'd start with Genesis. What's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi for us, but in this Bible, which is Hebrew, it's Chronicles. It's Chronicles. Now, all their books are there, but it's in a different order. And so the very last books of the Bible in Hebrew are the books of Chronicles. They're called the writings and they're history. They're really a kind of a, a theological approach to history. And for years, many people never studied Chronicles, but they're very rich books and they're a lot about worship in Chronicles. So let's read a couple uh, verses from Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 13. Let us bring the ark of God back to us for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. And then if you can see that one, let me just read this one. So David inquired of God. So David inquired of God again, and God answered him. And is there another one, or that's it? Okay. There it is. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Now, you notice the word inquire that came up a couple times, or the word seek. It comes up over and over again in the book of Chronicles. And in fact, in uh, Scripture, when you talk about King Saul, you would have expected King Saul to continue to reign. But of course, God did not allow his sons to continue the reign. And when it talks about why King Saul died, Scripture gives several reasons. But let me read the, the last reason. Saul died because he did not inquire of the Lord. Interesting. And as you read of David in this chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, the story we're looking at today, over and over it says, he did inquire of the Lord. Now, growing up, uh, how many of you played hide-and-seek? Yeah, we all did. You know how it is. You go stand in the corner. Is, is the person that's counting, is that your it, right? It's been a while. Is that it? Yeah, you're it. So, you know, you, if you're it, you have to close your eyes, put your... Uh, hands over your face like this, and you count one, two, and you count to ten or thirty. Meanwhile, everybody else goes and hides. And then when you're done counting, you open your eyes and you go seek them. You inquire. You're looking for them with the goal of finding them. And that's the idea behind these words. There are actually three Hebrew words used here for inquire. And it's said of David, he inquired of God. He was a seeker of God. Not just an action, but he wanted to know God. And that's why we call David a man after God's own heart. He was serious. And so when we come together for celebration, um, when we come together for worship, it ought to be for celebration. Today I'm using, uh, I'm using this word and issuing to you an invitation to celebration. W.A. Tozer wrote this. We are here to be worshipers first and workers second. The problem, that's the end of his quote. And I would add particularly a problem in, in many Baptist churches and in the traditions I grew up in, in evangelical churches. The problem is that we take a new Christian, a new believer, and what do we do first of all? We make a worker out of them, and we don't really care if they're ever a worshiper. Just get something done. And that's wrong. We ought to be worshipers first and workers second. We ought to celebrate God first and serve God secondly. Now, both are important, but worship comes before work. We ought to seek God before serving God. Magnification comes before ministry. 
And so this morning, I want you to, I want to invite you to be a worshiper who celebrates God. And we're going to do that now. Ted, let's come and uh, celebrate through singing. Worship at First Baptist begins with celebration. There should always be a dimension of celebration. Secondly, the goal is inspiration. Read with me a couple of verses we'll put up, one from uh, our text and then one from the New Testament. Let's read together. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Be filled with the Spirit. Inspiration. Draw your arrow not pointing up, but this time pointing down. You know what inspiration means. It means to be filled with the Spirit, to be inspired. There are lots of ways to be inspired in life. And uh, this morning I'm going to ask you in a minute to think about what kind of spirit is in you. There are lots of spirits around too, aren't there? And a part of what we want to do in worship is have God's Spirit fill us so that our cup runs over, so that we're filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, back to the story uh, that we're looking at today. Try in your mind to kind of capture and imagine what's happening. David has pretty carefully sought out uh, what should we do, should we bring the ark up to Jerusalem. And everybody's agreed with him. That's a great idea. And so he gathers folks together, they find the ark, they build a brand new cart, they build new wheels, they put the ark on the cart, and they take off. Now, I think if there was CNN or Fox News back in that day, this would have been the lead story. You know, we've got a new king, he's uh, got this great idea, we're going to bring worship to Jerusalem. It's, this is a big deal, and the king and his entourage and all these folks go out, get the ark, and they're going to bring it up to the city. So this is a, a huge festival occasion. Now, in First uh, Chronicles 13, let me read to you the story of moving the ark to Jerusalem. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Hio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating, that's our word, with all their might before God with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. Now, you get this picture? Great celebration. We're having a fantastic time. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had his hand on the ark, so he died there before God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath, and it had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God up to me? Now, you talk about a worship service going bad, Ted. I mean, whoa. Uh, that was bad. It, it's, it's not a laughing matter, but in the news, was it just last year in the South in a Baptist church, some poor Baptist preacher's baptizing a guy, grabbed a mic and was electrocuted? I mean, that, that's another bad story during worship. You just don't want those things to happen in worship. People dying kind of spoils worship. And that's what happened. As they go to seek uh, the ark and find it and move it up, this is just a fantastic day, and all of a sudden, Uzzah dies, party's over, now, I've always puzzled about this, and I wish I were a comedian because I think there'd be a lot of humor in this, but you can kind of add your own. So what do they do with the ark? I mean, it's out on the road, party's over. What are they going to do? Well, 
somebody has a bright idea. I guess maybe it was just nearby. It might have been the nearest house. I have no idea. But they decide to take it to Obed-Edom's house. Well, aren't you glad if you're Obed-Edom? Can you imagine the kids running around the house? Don't touch that box. I'm telling you, it'll kill you. Don't touch it. And, I mean, you would get out the strap. You would be disciplining people, right, Becky? I mean, you would do, you'd put barbed wire around it, electric fence. I mean, whatever you could do. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, Obed, the ark's coming to your house. Obed, Obed said, oh, boy, now what am I going to do? They brought the ark to his house. And that's a... That's just a fascinating line to me in Scripture. You know, what's it like? This guy gets the ark. I mean, did he put it in the living room, in the bedroom, in the back shed, on the roof? I don't know what he did with it. But he brings it to his house. Now, the Scripture goes on to say that God blessed him. So it turned out to be a great thing. Nobody died in his house. It was a blessing to him. And probably for generations, Obed-Edom's house and folks talked about when they had the ark right there in the house. I mean, it's like making your house the holiest of holies. But this is what happens in the story as David goes forth to worship. Now, um, we want to create some time for you today to worship God and to pray and just to have uh, a moment with the Lord. And as we're thinking about worship, um, it's for some of us this is not so true, but I think for most of us, it's not that difficult to really get excited and worship God and say, well, we're having a great day in the house of the Lord. We're lifting our hands. We're banging on the piano. We're just doing all these wonderful things. You know, you can have a party and really celebrate God. And you think, oh, God must be so happy with this great celebration we're having down here. Well, maybe and maybe not. In the book of Isaiah, I want to read a couple verses from Isaiah 58. Because what we're getting at here is David had this great worship service but he just didn't get it all right, and somebody died. And so the celebration turned to mourning. In Isaiah 58, verse 2, here's what the Lord says. For day after day they seek me out, that's our word. They worship me, they inquire of me. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right. So you get the idea. God says, you know, you people of Isaiah, you really, you really want to worship me. You seek me out and so forth. You think you're doing great, but... A few verses down, they even fast as part of their worship. That's tough. He says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Is this? Uh, he goes on to say, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? And so, oh, I missed the verse I wanted to read. Uh, let me back up. He says... Uh, well, it's not coming to my attention. But anyhow, he also condemns them. He says, you know, you go out and you worship, and then you abuse the widows. You, you extract wages and exploit your workers. And so he says, you know, you're worshiping God and celebrating God, but then you leave church and you exploit your workers. You leave church, you have strife and gossip in your lips. You leave church and you start fighting with each other. And God says, I just don't accept your worship. It's not because you weren't enthusiastic. It's not even because you weren't insincere. It's just that your worship makes no difference with your lifestyle. And so the idea is, folks, that as we come in here and celebrate God, which is what we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to focus on God, we want to open ourselves up as well to let God speak to us to change our life so we can become followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. To be inspirited means that if I've got a spirit of anger in my heart today... Or if I've got a spirit of, 
of greed in my heart today or a spirit of lust or a spirit of selfishness or whatever that spirit may be that's in me today, uh, I need to open up my heart and say, God, put your spirit in me and let's drive out the spirits that shouldn't be there and then I will truly worship you. So, so you catch the idea that we worship God, it's kind of that upward flow, but we want to open ourselves to God's spirit working in our heart. We often say, open your heart or your life to God. And in fact, when we raise our hands to God like this, it's an invitation to say, Lord, I'm open. I'm not worshiping like this. I don't worship like this. You know, it's a very closed position. I worship like this. God, fill me. Inspire me. Send me out inspired and filled with your, your spirit. So I ask you as a worship to, worshiper today, are you willing to open yourself in this hour to what God would say to you. Now, I'd like to do two things. I want to read a prayer, and I think it'll be on the screen. It's a prayer by St. Augustine, a prayer of confession. And then after I read the prayer, I'm going to sit down, and it's, this is a moment for you to pray, to meditate, to uh, call upon God, to ask God's Spirit to fill you. Let's read this prayer. Shall we read it together? O oh Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you might enter in. It is ruinous. O oh, repair it. It displeases your sight. I confess it. I know. But who will cleanse it? Or to whom shall I cry but unto you? Cleanse me from my secret faults, O Lord, and spare your servant from strange sins. Amen. Three words. Three words help me understand and remind me what we're trying to do when we gather on Sunday mornings or in corporate worship. One is celebration. We want to lift ourselves to God. One is inspiration. We want to open ourselves to God and receive. And then thirdly is the word preparation. Preparation. And you might draw an arrow going like this. In other words, how does worship prepare me to live my life? This is a very pragmatic, practical statement. And uh, as best I can, it's my huge uh, desire when I study scripture, not simply to understand what this means, which is very important, but to say, well, what difference is it going to make in my life, and what difference will it make in your life? And, and that's a pragmatic, so what, what do I get out of this kind of question? And it's really important to me that there's value added, so you don't say, well, I went to church this morning, you know, I, I paid my dues, so to speak, but say, you know, I can't afford to miss because I'm going to receive something there that adds value to my life. And that's a goal for us here at uh, First Baptist. Inspiration in worship and then as uh, preparation as well. In uh, the Chronicles, back to, to First Chronicles chapter uh, 15 now in verse 1, and chapters 15 and 16 sort of wrap up this story. If you want a, something to read, you might read through these chapters later in the day. Uh, chapter 15, 1. David prepared a place for the ark of God. David prepared a place. And then in 16, this is at the end of the whole story. Then all of the people left to go to their homes, and David returned home to bless his family. Now, that's a great statement. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we leave worship, we go home and what? Bless our families. That because we've been to worship, we go home and back wherever we go, we are a blessing. Wow. 
That's a great statement to, to kind of wrap up worship. And so I hope that's true for us as worshipers, as we grow in worship and celebrate God and are inspired. We go home and we are a blessing. Now, I explained how uh, Obed-Edom's house was blessed. They took the ark of God there and it sat there for three months and he was blessed. Nobody died. And I don't know what transpired, but uh, chapter 14 goes on to talk about David doing some other things. And all the while, he's scratching his head saying, what went wrong? Now, we're in, uh, you know, we they didn't do po- uh, political polls back then. But can you imagine this new king, fresh into his kingship, and he has this great celebration, and somebody dies and it's abandoned. That's really not a good political move, is it? You know, I mean, the, the polls must have gone down after that. But David doesn't give up. And so he still wants the ark to be in Jerusalem. And what do you think he does? He inquires of the Lord. He goes back and asks God again. He seeks advice from other people. And that's one of the great differences between David and Saul. David wasn't afraid to say, what do you think? What what went wrong here? Give me some advice. What should we do? David asked lots of folks. He inquired not only of the Lord, but of other people. The Proverbs say, in the multitude of counselors, there wanteth not wisdom. In other words, you ask a lot of people, seek a lot of advice, and you'll gain wisdom. And David did that. And the the consensus was, we've got to do this. We've got to bring the ark up. We can't leave it at Obed-Edom's house. Let's bring it to Jerusalem. Well, what's the next question? How are we going to do that? I'm going to choose you guys. You go get the ark, would you? Not on your life. I'm not going to get that ark. You can imagine. Why don't you in the back row? Come on up. We're going to go get the ark. You carry it. Well, David inquired around and he realized the ark doesn't belong on a cart with oxen pulling it. How's it supposed to go? Moses was told, look, when you build the ark, put some ringlets in it, run some poles through those, and the priests, God's people, are going to lift it up and carry it. And it won't fall. And so there was a prescribed order for moving the ark. They figured it out, and the priests went down there, they got the ark, and they started the party all over again. Which is a great example. You may be here today and say, you know, I have blown it. I just, you know, I was going pretty good and then I fell off the wagon. I blew it. And you might say, I'm going to quit. Don't quit. David didn't quit on this idea. He had a tremendous failure. He made a mistake. It cost a man his life. But he didn't quit on the idea. He found out what God wanted and they moved on. And so they come back and they eventually do bring the ark to Jerusalem And as you know, David was not allowed to build the temple, but he did want worship to be there. And so his son Solomon built the temple and the ark was put in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And it was a great place of worship. Now, the ark of the covenant reminds us of of a place of worship. And the scripture says, David prepared a place. And as we wrap up today, have you prepared a place for God? I mean, isn't that really the question? Have you prepared a place for God? That's such a great way to begin chapter 15. David wanted to prepare a place for God. And originally, for the Hebrews, that place was the tabernacle. And Moses was told how to build it. And no matter where they traveled, they had a place for God. They met at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And the ark symbolized that place. And then later, King Solomon built the temple, and they went to that place to worship. But we don't go to Jerusalem to worship, and we don't need to go to a temple. Where is the place for God today? It's in the human heart. In fact, Paul says your body is a temple of the Lord. And you can think of the scripture. What did Jesus say? I stand at the door and I knock. 
He's not knocking on the door out here. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, if you will open that door, I will come into you. He said, I'll have supper with you and you with me. I'll be with you and you'll be with me. And so this morning, have you prepared a place for God? Now, this is our place of worship, and it's good to have this place. It's great. And I hope that at home you have a place. You say, Steve, this is the chair I sit when I worship God. And I would encourage you, if you don't do it, to have a place where you sit down and you read your Bible and you pray. Maybe you keep a journal. And you say, that's my place for God. But ultimately, the place for God is in our hearts. And this morning I invite you to be a person of celebration, of inspiration and preparation. And I remind you that the scripture says David prepared a place for God. He was huge in worship for God. How about you? Do you have a place for God? Let's pray. Father, I ask you that uh, for most of us in this room, many of us, we've opened our heart and we've invited Jesus in. And uh, we are living in the reality of your presence. The Holy Spirit is in us. You indwell us and fill us. Lord, we open our hearts and lives to every avenue so that you might completely fill us, fully fill us. And Father, if there's a a person here today, a man or a woman, who's really not opened their heart to you, they've not created that place, I pray today that in a simple statement of faith, they might let Jesus in. Thank you, God, for knocking on our heart's door. We open it now to you and uh, invite you in. And we intend to go forth, Lord, uh, filled with your presence to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.